Good morning, all. Uh, our reading is found in the in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. It'll be read in three parts. Uh, the first from verses three to ten, then from verses fourteen to seventeen, and lastly from verses thirty to thirty-two. Starting from verse three. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been risen either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Verse 30. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what if I gained? If the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Thanks, Mana. Why don't we pray that as we've just heard God's word read and as we look at it together now, that we'd see the reality of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much that you are not silent, uh, that witnesses have seen the events of Jesus' life and have recorded them, and that have passed them on so that we can now read what those who were around at the time of your son's life and death and resurrection, that we could read what they have to say, and we could have confidence in the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Amen. Death sucks. I don't know for how many of you death has been a big impact on your life. Uh, For me, I haven't had that much around me. But for my dad, uh, his dad died when he was 18. Uh, He grew up uh, in boarding school for most of his uh, childhood years. He was still at boarding school when his dad died. Death sucks. And there's part of me that would love to believe that there's more. Isn't there part of you that wants that? Isn't it part of each of us that would love to believe that there was life after death? The question we need to ask, though, 
is, is there? I mean, I'd like to believe gravity didn't exist for a bit, so I could float around in the universe, but <laughs> it might actually not be true. We actually need to have our minds in line with reality. And the question for us this weekend is, did Jesus rise? If he didn't, if he is still dead, then Christianity is a hoax. But if he did rise from the dead, then this is the one question that should define our very existence. If Jesus actually rose from the dead, then we need to change the way we think about everything. I want to put to you today that the pinnacle question in life is, did Jesus rise from the dead? I think the common misconception about Christianity is that our belief in the resurrection is just simply based on wishful thinking. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? You know, you've just got to shut your eyes and have faith. You just got to step out and trust that this stuff is true and blindly believe what the rest of the world recognizes as kind of warmly as naivety, right? You just got to trust that everything will be fine. But I think what Paul shows us, this first century witness, is that it's just not biblical. I mean, there are plenty of Christians that hold that view. There are plenty of Christians that walk around saying, just trust that it'll all sort itself out. But that's not the view of the Bible. Whether you believe Jesus or not, I want to show you today that the shut your eyes and hope for the best type of thinking is ridiculous. It's unhelpful and it's unbiblical. And I actually think it doesn't line up with history. So I don't know if you noticed in that passage that Manna just read for us so well, that for Paul, the historicity of the resurrection matters immensely. There are three places in that passage where Paul says, if Christ is not raised, then... Now, that's not wishful thinking. It's actually deductive logic. It's deductive reasoning. For this first century witness, Paul, faith and reason go hand in hand. And here's why. If you think about who Paul was, he he was a Jew. He believed that there was one true God. He was incredibly jealous for God's name. He had made his whole life as as a Pharisee, as as a teacher of this law. And he, he cared lots and lots and lots about God's name. In fact, we're going to see how much he cared and how ruthless he was with those who took God's name in vain. For those who claimed to follow this one who claimed to be the Son of God. He actually... Well, he killed them. He's the last person in the world who'd be likely to think that a human could be divine. Yet, he worships Jesus as God. What changed? What changed for this zealous Jew? What pushed him, this, this legal man who, who thought in, in reason, to go, I'm going to give everything to him? Well, the answer is, The resurrection. And you see it in this passage. The resurrection was a massive, comprehensive argument for Paul. It didn't just address his mind. It addressed every part of him. His conscience. What he thought about himself. His his imagination. His heart. His future. Everything. The reality of the resurrection argued Paul into a dramatically different life. Dramatically different. How sure are you that Jesus rose from the dead? How sure are you 
Let me ask that another way. How convinced are you that Paul, the early church, those who saw Jesus are all wrong? I want to ask you this morning to honestly and frankly consider the possibility, like any historian must, that the events of the resurrection could have actually occurred. Here in this passage, there are three arguments for this resurrection. You'll see them in the points of your outline. There's an argument to the mind, there's an argument to the conscience, and an argument to the heart. And we'll look at them in that order. So firstly, let's have a look. The argument to the mind. In verses 3 to 9, Paul gives the historical case for the resurrection of Jesus. And in that kind of argument to his mind, there are three key parts. Verse 4, if you're looking along, um, tells us that the Jesus who was buried rose. The claim is the tomb was empty. The second part of his argument in verse 6 tells us there were literally hundreds of people who saw Jesus with their eyes. They, they touched him with their hands. They ate with him. They laughed with him after his resurrection. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses of seeing him. It's point two. Now, when Paul was writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, it's about 16 to 18 years after Jesus' death. Did you hear that? It's written 16 to 18 years after his death. That's the reason Paul can say in verse 6 that all people who saw Jesus raised from the dead, you can actually go to them. You don't just have to trust me. You can go and talk to the people who saw it. You can interrogate them. They're actually, most of them, are still alive today. 16 to 18 years later, when he wrote this letter, he's saying, don't just trust me, go and ask. Well, the third part of the argument of the, to the mind is the case of the changed lives of people. Now, I want you to think historically about this. Paul's an example himself, like I've said. You know, he talks about himself as a, as a changed life. But he's also able to offer all those people. All those people who at incredible cost to themselves are still happy, 16 to 18 years later, to speak of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. That people's lives actually changed. That though they'd be persecuted, that though they'd be kind of pushed down in society and killed, hung upside down, they still claim Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you, you never could have made that offer of that the people are still alive, the, the, the kind of the encouragement of the hearers, the first hearers of this letter to go and ask them. You never could have made that unless all the original witnesses of the resurrection were actually living throughout their lives, testifying to the reality at enormous cost to them. And when you put these three things together, the empty tomb, the eyewitness accounts, and then the changed lives of people, you've actually got an extraordinarily powerful case, historically. The early Christians could not possibly have preached the resurrection publicly and successfully unless both the empty tomb were true and the reality of the eyewitnesses existed. It wouldn't have floated. Who would believe that if people were like, no, no, he's dead, he's his body? Who would have believed it if you went to the eyewitnesses and they went, no, no, it didn't happen, we're not going to say it. But if both these are true, there's actually quite a strong historical case. 
a German historian called Pannenberg. Uh, he's a Christian. But he says this, As a historian, there is absolutely no way that those things didn't happen. There must have been an empty tomb, and there must have been all those eyewitnesses, or Christianity wouldn't have been able to preach the resurrection of Christ immediately and successfully. It must have happened. Do you get it? This faith in this guy rising from the dead spread straight away. It wasn't like we waited until 50 years or 80 years or 150 years or 300 years or 600 years later. It happened straight away. N.T. Wright, another English scholar, puts it like this. He says, If there was only an empty tomb and there'd been no sightings, people would have believed the body was stolen. If it had only been eyewitnesses claiming to have seen him, but the tomb still had the body in it, then everybody would have believed they were hallucinating. But only if all of these were true, the empty tomb, the sightings, and the permanently changed lives of the witnesses, could Christianity have ever begun. Well, there's the case that the resurrection actually happened. And what Paul's saying is this is the reason he believed in Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead. It stood up. It wasn't just some wishful thinking. Now, as I hear that, there's part of me that says, well, that's great, Rowan. You know, it's great for him. He was there. He could ask the people. He lived back then. You know, but what are we supposed to do today? Yeah, how are we supposed to believe now? We're not going to meet Jesus on the Damascus Road like you did and, and then kind of go and check stuff out. But I think I know what Paul would do if we were here today. If he were here today, I think he'd, I'd know how he'd explain that to us. The reason I think we know is because he explains it to others in the Bible who weren't there at the time, who didn't see exactly what went on. He wouldn't just say, like so many Christians I hear say, oh, you just have to wait for some experience. You just have to wait until you feel convicted in your heart and have this kind of, you know, and then, then, when, then you'll really know. Some spiritual awakening. No, he wouldn't say that. This is what he says in Acts 26. Paul's called before Festus, who's the governor. Um, He's the governor of of the area. And then King Agrippa is there, who's the king. He's the ruler over Judea and Galilee. He lived in Judea and Galilee during all the time of Jesus' death. And he allows Paul to explain the teaching about Jesus, the Son of God. He actually says, come before us. He pulls him out of prison. It's kind of a political move as he's come in to, to hear about all these political prisoners. And he asks him to tell him about this, this faith. And Paul begins to talk about the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. But as soon as the resurrection of Jesus comes out of his mouth, Festus just stops him. This governor's like, stop. Have a look at Acts 26 verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is is driving you insane. Now, two things. The Bible actually reports things that aren't as helpful to it. If I wanted to put a case forward for the resurrection, I would say, well, I'd fabricate this. I wouldn't wouldn't actually say it. I'd say, oh, yeah. And they were like, yes, he did. But actually, the Bible's reporting that they didn't believe him. Second thing. They're listening to Paul's reasoning. They've asked him to come and present this case. Paul is this very clever guy. He's obviously a philosopher. But it just seems that Festus can't stomach the idea of resurrection at all. Festus is like rising from the dead. That's ludicrous. Who's ever heard of that? 
But listen to Paul's reply next. Acts 26 verse 25. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice. Because it was not done in a corner. Because it was not done in a corner. They're very important words. He's saying to Festus, I'm not talking about philosophy. He says, I'm talking about history. I'm talking about the events that went on that people could observe and see. I'm not talking about some objective experience that someone had. I'm talking about an objective reality. Not a subjective experience, an objective reality. He's like, you can imagine him. I didn't want to believe in Jesus either. I was pretty much against his followers. But when I saw the evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead, I had to believe in Jesus. He turns to the King Agrippa. You know the facts. You know your guards. These are public facts. They didn't happen in a corner. What he's saying is, you were alive at this time. You know that these things went on. There's no secret knowledge. There's no special experience. They're public facts. This should be reported from secular sources as well. These are just things that went on. King Agrippa, you know that the tomb is empty. <laughs> you know what the guards really said happened. You know about all the eyewitness sightings of Jesus Christ. You know these things. But you don't want to deal with them. You don't want to let the logical conclusion of these facts change your life. Paul didn't want to deal with them either. He didn't want to believe in Jesus. But when he saw he was risen from the dead, he had to. Now, I think this is hugely unsettling for us today. Because at our heart, we don't want to deal with the fact that there is someone greater than us. With the reality that possibly Jesus could be who the Bible says he is, who history points him to be, who the most logical conclusion from the facts that we have, the most reasonable explanation of the things that we see historically points that, well, he's the ruler of the universe and that means he's the ruler of us. I think it's hugely unsettling for us. We want to say, it's fine if people want to believe in Jesus. It's great if it fulfills you. It's great if it gives you hope and if it, if it gives you purpose in your life. You know, if it fulfills you, you believe it. But the world around us says, don't you dare insist others believe it. It might not fulfill them. How dare you insist that your view of fulfillment might be good for someone else? But here's what Paul's saying. He says, I, I, I didn't believe in Jesus because he fulfilled me. I didn't want to believe in him. There was, there was nothing fulfilling about him at all. It was a threat to everything I had. He was a threat to my view of myself. He was a, a threat to my worldview, to the control of my own life, to, to everything. I didn't want to believe him, but I had to because of the resurrection of Jesus. If Paul were here today, I think he'd say, let the public facts of the resurrection speak for themselves. Even 2,000 years later, we're in the same boat as King Agrippa. We hear what's been reported from others. We have it written down. 
you account for the facts. You can't just say, well, it doesn't fulfill me. You know, I'm not into that sort of thing. And you can say it, but it flies in the face of the facts of history. I mean, you've got to account for the fact that hundreds of Orthodox Jews who had so much to lose, who were the last people on the face of the planet to believe in the risen Son of God, did. Hundreds of them. In the first sermon, 3,000 people came to trust in this Jesus at one point, who were alive at the time. You've got to account for the fact that people, sometimes hundreds at a time, saw him. We're happy to say that they saw him. We're happy to give that testimony at massively costly um, accounts for themselves. You don't have mass hallucinations. They just don't occur. You've got to also account for the fact that those people live the rest of their lives based on the fact of the resurrection. They died for their belief. It's not a hoax or a trick. They actually believed it happened. You've got to come up with a historically plausible alternative explanation for the birth of the Christian church. Why did it explode so quickly at the time when the people were around could be questioned? I'm going to be a little bit strong here. But if you don't have a historically plausible alternative explanation for the events that happened, you can't walk away from Christianity and claim any sort of intellectual integrity. I'm, not, I'm saying, let me say it again. If you don't have a historical plausible, historically plausible alternative explanation, you can't walk away from Christianity and claim any sort of intellectual integrity. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Rowan. You know, maybe I don't have the reasons for all of that. Um, you know, maybe I don't know what the explanation actually is, but it couldn't have been resurrection. In fact, that guy I quoted, N.T. Wright, he's uh, was at Oxford studying. He, he wrote a book on the resurrection. Uh, he's a Christian. He was the Bishop of Durham. Um, he wrote this thick book on the resurrection called Resurrection and the Son of God. It's a brilliant book. Um, he wrote that and gave it to his philosophy tutor, His philosophy tutor read it and he said, wow, this is a phenomenal case for the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. He said, but I just choose to believe that there is another alternative that no one has yet come across. Now, do you see that? You might say, look, I don't think it could happen. But at that point, I want to say, if you're saying, I don't think it happened because I don't think people rise from the dead, if that's the reason, then Paul would stop you and say, no, no, now you're doing philosophy. Now you're actually saying that people don't rise from the dead, therefore this can't happen. I'm not talking about philosophy. I'm talking about history. If you have the philosophical presupposition that people don't rise from the dead, that's fine. If you want to believe that, that's fine. But you're believing it in total contradiction to the historical evidence that exists without a plausible argument. To say, well, how could these events happen? Paul's first argument for the resurrection here in 1 Corinthians 15 is actually using us to use our minds, not throw them out. He's saying, go ask the people, go look at the evidence and you'll see. Paul's second argument on the resurrection then moves on to an argument on conscience. In verse 17, he says, and if 
Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. How did Paul get past his past? How would you do that? If you'd been the cause of many, many Christians dying. He killed people with glee. A lot of Christians. And then he became a Christian. He would have been surrounded by people whose friends and relatives he was responsible for their death. Can you imagine sitting in church if Paul killed your dad? How do you live with yourself? How do you live with your past? Get your confidence back? How do you get past that past? Well, Paul did. And it was because he believed in the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is actually the argument that clears us all of our consciences if we trust in Jesus. That clears us all of our pasts, the things we've done, the things we've said. See, if you and I base our image on our performance, on how well we've done, then our life's like a roller coaster. One day we're happy because people like us, the next day we're sad because someone said, I don't look good in this dress. You know, it's just like an up and down of who I am, and I have no, I have no rock. I'm, my, my view of myself is all over the shop. And then if I think about the way I act in relation to God or others, some days I do good, but man, there's often bad mixed in and I rarely treat God as God. I want to rule my life my way. The resurrection allows us to see the reality of who we really are. It pushes us to go, yes, Paul was evil. Yes, I am evil. I do things that are wrong and that hurt people. It is so wrong that someone had to die for it. It should have been me. But Jesus did it. But in the resurrection, we not only see how much we have done wrong and how costly the effects of our actions, but we also see God's love, that He would come and die for us, that that death was on our behalf. And what we see when Jesus rose from the dead was that that debt has been paid. It's over. It's finished. Paul's able to move on because of the resurrection. Because everything he's ever said, done and thought, or not said, not done and not thought, has been paid for. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. The resurrection means it worked. Whatever Jesus did on that cross, he defeated death. If the penalty for, for, for sin was death, Jesus defeated sin because he rose again. It's kind of like, let's just say you do a crime. You go to court... Uh, society says two years in jail off you go you go to prison for two years and you get out the debt's paid how do you know the debt is paid because you're out you're not locked behind bars anymore they've let you out you're free to go jesus died for the sins of the world how do we know it actually worked because the door opened Death's door opened. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, saying that everything is completed. The debt is paid. I'm out. 
There was something so sufficient about Jesus, who is God the Son, dying in our place, that He paid the debt for everyone and showed that death was defeated. The resurrection allows us to look at our lives knowing we're sinners, but knowing that the debt has been paid and that now we are free to serve Him. It worked. Some of you here will be a little bit different from me in the way that you keep records. I'm not really a lover of receipts. I don't enjoy keeping them in little piles with paper clips and filing them by month order. Um, some of you do do that. You keep your receipts, you can track for every cent you've ever spent. And as a result, I think you sleep better. Here's why. I'm always afraid that someone will come to me and go, Hey, you haven't paid me for this. And I'll be like, Really? thought I did. No, no, you haven't paid me yet. I'm like, um, (laughs) I've got no way of proving it. I've got no receipts. Um, Some of you will sleep much better because you you have receipts. Like my accountant wife, you keep them and you care about that stuff. Even though it's blindingly frustrating for some, you sleep better because you have a record. And if someone comes to you and says, hey, you haven't paid me the other day, You just go to the filing cabinet, you flick out their name, it's all ordered, you pull out the receipt with their signature on it and stamped across it is paid so-and-so for X amount. You go, sorry, I think I did pay you, I've got the receipt in full. In the resurrection, God stamped paid in full across history. The receipt is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the historical account that Jesus rose from the dead and it says paid in full. And it's stamped across your life if you trust in Jesus. Paid in full. Paid in full. Everything you've ever said, done or thought. Everything Paul had ever said, done and thought. Paid in full. Now I'm sure that meant for him that there was some apologizing to do amongst those in the church. But Paul would call himself the greatest of sinners. Who trusted in the greatest of saviors. Paid in full. There's nothing that you've done that's beyond the forgiveness of God. Well, the third argument for the resurrection that Paul puts out here in 1 Corinthians says that it has massive implications for our consciences. Paul talks about this argument to the heart. In verse 30 and 32, he kind of says this interesting thing. It's a weird section. If you've got questions about it, come chat with me later. But Paul talks about the fact that he's facing death every day. He talks about facing the wild beasts in Ephesus. Right? No one knows what he's talking about. <laughs> no one today knows what he's talking about. It's one of those incidents where something happened and everyone there went, yes, we know about that. But everyone else today is like, we've got no idea what you're going on about. But here's the point. Here's what he's saying. For the sake of the people I love, every single day I face death. I don't care what it costs to do the right thing. I don't care what it costs to love the people I love. I'll do anything, even if it means facing death. I'll do it day in and day out. I will look death in the face. And I'm totally fine with it. He's not saying that I'll beat death in terms of that it won't affect me. He's saying, no, I'm fine with dying. When you look at what happened to Paul's life, shipwrecked three times, put in prison, beaten, bashed, nearly to the point of death on three occasions. It's crazy the stuff that he faced. 
But he faced it so he could love others, so he could tell others this news that resurrection has happened, that Jesus paid the price for you, that Jesus is the Son of God. But if the dead weren't raised, if Jesus wasn't raised, then Paul wouldn't be raised with him. If the dead aren't raised, there's no reason to do this unselfish life. There's no, there's no reason to tell people about Jesus. You're wasting your time here if the dead aren't raised. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you might as well eat, drink and be merry. For tomorrow you die, live it up, just do whatever because Jesus isn't the Son of God. If he didn't rise from the dead, it didn't work. Paul's thoroughly aware of this fact. If you want to put a hole in Christianity, put a hole in the resurrection. I dare you. But when Paul knows that Jesus did rise from the dead, he knows that death has been defeated. Absolutely defeated. It's done. He's like, I can spit in death's eye. I can say, give me your best shot. Shoot me. Kill me. Even if it means facing death all day, every day with that real possibility for the sake of telling people about these truths, it doesn't matter because death is not the end. Life is promised. Life after death. Paul has this amazing confidence in his heart and then kind of propelling him to tell people about Jesus, to face things that are crazy because he's convinced death's not the end. Throughout the Bible, there's this kind of view that death is wrong and awful. Right? If, if you see death come at you, if you see death coming at somebody else, there's a right to be angry. Right? Death is, is wrong. Jesus was, was incredibly angry when Lazarus died. But he was never afraid. Never afraid. Post-Easter, there's no reason to be afraid of death if you trust in Jesus. None. If death has been defeated... Well, it has no sting. That's exactly what Paul says. Listen to him in verse 55 of chapter 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was hit by the truck of death. He faced death for us all, and it was a big death. He paid the price for us all. It was like one of those massively long semi-trailers with the sin of the whole world on its back that came colliding through history and slammed him to that cross. Jesus was hit by the truck of death. So all we need to experience is that truck's shadow. If you had the choice of being hit between a truck and the truck's shadow, which would you choose? Yes, death will come, but it is only momentary. And for those that trust in Jesus, that don't need to face the penalty for their sins because it's been paid, death is just a shadow. And that truck will pass by, and then after that truck is passed, there is light. If you're not afraid of death, you need not be afraid of anything because Jesus has given life. Hear these words of Paul, won't you? 
consider deeply on this Easter weekend the amazing reality, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. Let the resurrection argue your conscience into incredible confidence. Jesus has died and been raised. Your sin is paid for. It's done. Let the resurrection argue your heart into a life of courageous response. What can be taken from me? I want to speak the truth of this so others may experience the light after the shadow, so they don't experience being hit by a truck. Let the resurrection argue your mind into a saviour who is real and who historically and actually rose from the dead. This Easter, it would be incredibly sad for us to stand in the way of a truck, in the way of our sin, and say, I'll take it, I'll get through. When on offer is just merely a shadow. Come, won't you, and put your trust in the Jesus who really existed, who really died, who really rose again, so you may have life forever and serve him. Let's pray. Father God, today is such a good day to be reminded that we have life, that life has been offered and we no longer need to worry about death, that its sting has been taken out, that Jesus has faced the penalty we deserve so that we could be made right with you, declared in your sight, just as Jesus is. We ask that you would help us to look at the historicity of Jesus and to ground our faith in the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. We ask that you give us confidence and boldness to be able to share this news with those around us. We ask you give us confidence and boldness to accept this news and the massive implications it has for our lives, that no longer our lives should be centered on ourselves but on your Son. Father, we ask that today you might so fix our eyes on what Jesus has done that we might follow him, that we might make the radical steps of putting him first and that we might trust you for the life you have offered. Father, we want to thank you this day for life after death. And we ask that you would help us to keep trusting in Jesus, that the price has been paid, that he is our king and that you would help us serve him for he has given us everything. Amen.